Good morning and welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living on this uh, beautiful day. I'm going to invite you to, as we dropped into that holy ground, I mean music takes us there like no other thing. And so let's just take a moment to just bask in what was just witnessed and experienced. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And so I'm going to sound our gong today and invite you to just drop into silence collectively. And as you do that, before we do that, as a matter of fact, I'm going to invite you to just recall, maybe it's just simply this beautiful song that you just witnessed and experienced, but something that cracks open your heart in the resonance of unconditional love. It could be something simple. Warm clothing. The breeze that blows through your hair or caresses your cheek on a, a day when it is so appropriate. The, the thought of a child or grandchild, an image that lifts you and cracks your heart open. But in that heart of unconditional love that throughout our service if something triggers you either in joy or in sorrow to simply just dissolve that into the heart of unconditional love that we established together this day. And so here we go. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very So I invite you in this moment to join me in taking just a deep cleansing breath and knowing that as we breathe and clear ourselves and purify our being, our feeling tone that we drop even deeper into that heart of unconditional love which is the truth of our being. That we are divine, that we are part of that perennial truth. We have always been and will always be. That we have chosen this time and this experience intentionally, consciously to be here at a most extraordinary time of transformation. It is no accident. And so I see, sense, feel, and celebrate the divinity that you are. Namaste, as the Hindus would say. The divinity within me recognizes the divinity within you. That spirit's life, source's life, creator's life is my life, our life. And so when knowing that, I know that there's whatever is alive and dynamic within us individually, it is being addressed beautifully and powerfully in this moment. Whatever answers we seek become clearer. Whatever knowing there is for us to be revealed, we stand in a willingness of that mystery 
and that availability. And so I just give thanks knowing something powerful is finding its way in and through and as each and every one of us. A peace beyond measure and explanation, beyond understanding. Peace that passeth all understanding. A joy and a passion to understand, a call to action that is unique to each and every one of us. To know that whatever it is that we are called to, that the infinite creator of all life is also equipping us at every level of being to address that. And so standing in that faith, articulating this and stating the invitation of that which is available in and through and as myself. And if you stand in agreement, you stand in that invitation as well. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Here we are. I always love having the choir here. Thank you so much for your, your service of time and talent and energy this day. It just gets better. If we were doing a third service, I'd be here for that one too. So this month is about abundance, and today it's titled Abundance, Abundance Everywhere is the title of our talk. And I want to talk a bit about um, um, some of those things, but before we get into that, I'm going to invite you to find someone that you can interact with in a meaningful way. We haven't done this for a few weeks, but find someone that you would like to interact with or feel called to. There may be somebody here that you feel really called to connect with, and we're going we're gonna to do a practice of the two or more. We're, gonna, we're going to have a little conversation of greeting. Into the ta, ta, ta. So I'd like you to look at that person, look him in the eyes, and say good morning. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for dropping into this precious life. Taking form at this point in time. I acknowledge the presence of love within you. There is a healing force moving within you. Addressing. Caressing. And blessing at every level of your being. Bless you. And so it is. Now, do you know if you held that person's hand for longer than six seconds, if you're doing that, that now you are connected in a more meaningful way? There's an empathy and a resonance that gets created. Six seconds is all it takes to bring more aliveness into our lives through physical touch. So if you have a product that you want to sell them afterwards, probably a better chance now than there was before. <laughs> Love to have you in my downline. I've heard that a few times around here. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So what are we selling? Ah, it doesn't matter. You'll be in my downline. So today I want to talk about the power of abundance. Three things. The power of abundance, the power of activation. How do we activate abundance in our lives and the power of awakening the giant within each and every one of us? One of my favorite Dr. Ernest Holmes quotes probably in honor of my teacher, because she repeated this over and over and over again. She said, if you want to do a thing that is really worth doing, we must mentally grow until we are that thing which we want to see made flesh. If we want to see a world that works for everyone, which means love, then we must embody love. We must shift the consciousness within ourselves so that it comes to us by right of consciousness. We can fake it, but it will not be sustainable. So whatever it may be, abundance, have more abundance in our lives, how, must, how can I grow a greater abundance and availability and receptivity in my life? That's the opportunity. He continues, this may take time, but we should be glad to use all of the time necessary to the desired outcome. So it might take a lifetime, but it is so worthwhile. And that's why I tell people when they come in, I don't have a quick fix. This is a journey. This is a journey, a sequential journey of over time because we are unraveling 
the race consciousness and the conditioning that we got as children from people that loved us and cared for us and gave us everything they had. But many times those ideas are no longer as potent and as impactful in our lives. So how can we move with the dexterity, the spiritual dexterity through our lives and honor that but still uh, look at the challenges that are before us? So I want to talk today a bit about this idea of abundance. And there's a wonderful uh, man by the name of Dr. Peter Diamandis. And he is the author of the, the book called Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think. Because it's, it's an interesting uh, phenomenon on our planet that most of the news that we get primarily is, is negative. If anybody's had that experience of, of looking at a newspaper or going online or all of that stuff. And abundance, as he says, is our future. Now, this is an extraordinary man, very successful. He put out a, a bounty, a $10 million um, uh, reward to anyone that could help privatize space travel. Said anyone that can, can come up with space travel and is interested in that, the first person to get, get privatized and, and get into space, I have $10 million to gift you with. But what he says is that we will invent and innovate and create ways to solve challenges that loom over us. We always have, we always will. Our news sources, unfortunately, always feed us primarily the negative side of things. And there's a reason for that. Our number one survival mechanism, well, the number one driver we have in our lives is survival. We all go there. It's the first developmental stage of consciousness is survival, assuring survival. And so there's a sliver of our brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is our early warning detector, our danger detector. Its job is to let us know when we're in danger. And it is the first place we go because the primary first mechanism is survival. So when we find ourselves being drawn into bad news, it's simply because we are just tripwired that way. Oh, bad news, of course. And then, and then we get into the concerns and the worries about lack and limitation and scarcity. It's just prevalent. So it's, it, with that being the case, it's no wonder that we are many times thinking the world is getting worse. And of course, with some of the things that have just happened recently upon the, the Western world, it's, we can even reinforce it more. So we'll talk a little bit more about that today. But Diamandis says we have the potential in the next three decades to create a world of abundance. The next three decades to create a world of abundance. So I'm going to give you some statistics around that, why he is so passionate about that and why he understands that. He said we certainly have problems. We have climate problems. We have species that are going into extinction. We have water shortages. We have energy shortages. All of those things are facts. But as a species, as humanity, one of the things we're able to do is see problems out in the future, and ultimately, we have always knocked them down. So, in the past 100 years, the human lifespan has doubled, the past 100 years. The average per capita income, on average, globally, has tripled three times. The childhood mortality rate is at 10%. The cost of food has dropped 10 times because of the abundance that we live in. The cost of electricity has dropped 20 times. The cost of transportation has been reduced 100 times. And the cost of communication, telecommunication, what computers used to cost, has dropped 1,000 times. He said, we are also living, and this is the work of one of his contemporaries, we are living, despite what you may think, in the most peaceful time ever in human history. The most peaceful time ever. In the last 130 years, and I mentioned this last week, global literacy, that rate has risen from 25% of the population on the planet to 85%. Now, there are still areas that are well below that average. In the sub-African sub uh, areas, it's below 50%. So we know there are still, there's still work to do. 
But over 130 years, this is what the average is now. We are living in extraordinary times, as he says. Expectations continue to get higher and higher. Even people who live below the poverty line in the United States, just picking out that entity, 99% of those living below below the poverty rate have electricity. 95% have television, 88% have a mobile phone, and 70% have a car and air conditioning. And technology is at the core of all of this. So in other words, even the people that are living below the poverty line today have a better quality of life than some of the robber barons of history, some of the emperors of history. And of course there's inequities, and of course there's unbalance and all that stuff, but if we look at it from a statistical standpoint, There's something interesting happening, and it is all underpinned by technology. So the idea is the technology that that Peter uh, Diamandis talks about is, and I don't understand all of these, but I'm going to share with you statistically some of the categories because it builds on something I have to say afterwards. But he said that we now have available infinite computing. We have sensors and networks. We have robotics. We have 3D printing. We have synthetic biology. We have digital medicine. We have nanomaterials. And all of those things I don't understand. But what he has developed with his partners, he has founded Singularity University. And at Singularity University, all of those technology I just talked about, they invite young people in that are equipped and willing to step into it, and they train them in various, in various modalities there. And what they say to them is, what we want you to do now with your training, with your research, is to find a way with your small group to impact in a positive way at least a billion people. And they're doing it. They're doing it as we speak. Every year they challenge a group of students to enhance and build upon technology that will, that will touch the lives of one billion. And dozens of companies are working on this very concept. As he says, what we've realized is that governments and large corporations are not able to do this. But it is incredible when you have a small group of focused individuals, the difference they can make in the world. And that's what's happening. Creating abundance, as he says, is not about creating a life of luxury, but rather creating a life of possibility. A life of possibility. Taking that which is scarce and making it abundant. And technology is a liberating force. I would say technology is an aspect of this infinite mind that we talk about and celebrate that is finding expression because people show up with enough focus and awareness to say, I am devoted to this idea. And this infinite creative expression of genius that is available to all of us rushes in to support. It's fascinating the way it works. But what we teach is that which we dwell upon, we become. And so here are these, you know, probably the nerd alert when you see the guys and gals coming down the hallway, but, but these, these, these individuals that are devoted to this and developing the technology. There's a wonderful story that Diamatis tells about Napoleon III and, and the king of Siam. Back in the mid 1800s, uh, Napoleon III invited the king of Siam to his palace for dinner. And so the, Napoleon III served all of the food on, on uh, silver and gold utensils because silver and gold were the most valuable uh, minerals on the planet uh, at that time. But there was one more that was more valuable. And the king of Siam showed up with aluminum utensils. Because at that point in time, aluminum was the most precious metal. In fact, the top of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., is made out of aluminum because at that point in time that was the most valuable uh, material on the planet. And then electrolysis was invented. And all of a sudden aluminum became one of the cheapest minerals on the planet. I have rolls of aluminum foil at home. Back then people would have thought, wow, this guy's got a lot of money. 
and we all do. So it's the idea of how technology, a simple shift in technology, can take something that was scarce and rare and make it abundantly available. We live on a planet that is bathed in 5,000 times more energy than we can possibly use in a year with sunlight. And so the question is, how do we tap into that? Well, we are tapping into it. Solar energy is now 50% the cost of diesel fuel. And in 2012, solar costs dropped 50%. I had a conversation with a member of the community within the last 10 days that came in and saw the new roof going on. And we started talking, because he, he's in the solar business, started talking about potentialities of solar. And I thought, well, that's, that would be a wonderful thing to do. You know, we've, we are putting, as you know, as you come up, you see the work going on. They're doing a beautiful job. We finally are putting our new roofs on, and, and it's a lovely thing not to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a mourning process, a ritual, because we have so many buckets that have been so important to catching water for so many years. And I know those buckets are going through a little bit of, of uh, withdrawal, but we'll find another use for them, I'm sure. We have abundant energy. We also have abundant water, despite what they're saying. Dean, Dean Kamen, the man that invented the Segway, developed a process and a, a technology called Slingshot 1000. And that is a, a, um, a unit, it's about the size of a big refrigerator that they put in various locations that distills and produces a thousand liters of fresh, clean water every day. And quite, it's quite fascinating. And so he's developed the technology, now they've partnered with Coca-Cola Company to distribute it. And so this has been happening and it continues to happen. Another, uh, and so, it, before I go there, but, but the idea behind this is, and so with this population explosion that's going on that, that we're concerned about, as, as uh, Peter Diamana says, that one of the, the ways to assure and help manage that well is through education and good health. The more people are educated and the better health they have, the less likely they are to, to just arbitrarily have ch child after child after child. But education is key. And that's part of what's happening with these three billion people that are coming online over time. Because they're, they're, being learning, they're educating, they're, they're, they're learning. There's, there's amazing things develop, uh, available with technology. So an example of how to actionize this abundance comes from a fellow by the name of Matt Cohen. Last name C-O-N-E. And he calls it the abundance model. So this is a radical idea, but I'm going to share it with you. Because how do we activate this in our lives? How do we take it from a concept and move out into our lives in a way that's productive and valuable? Because I think this is a model that speaks to a world that works for everyone. So Matt is a computer programmer. He's on, he's on um, TED, if you want to see him. C-O-N-E is his last name. It's a six-minute little segment of his, his uh, model. But he says there's two things that we can do to dramatically shift the planet if we do these two things. Number one is increase our ability to openly and freely express our love for one another. To learn how to openly and freely express our love for one another. Which I think is something that each and every one of us can find ways to do that. And then the other is adapt, adopt a, a, an abundance mindset. Abundance is a state of mind, a belief that in this moment all of my needs are met, and the confidence to know that in the future my needs will be met as well. And it sounds like a simple concept, doesn't it? But as he says in, the, in his presentation, in the Western world, 75% of people live in a scarcity mindset. There's not enough. How, how, what's going to happen tomorrow? Look what's going on in the United States with this new election. Concern after concern after concern. He said it makes it very difficult to possess a mindset of my cup overflows. And so 
his, his recommendation, he said one quarter of you, in his presentation, he says one quarter of you will love this idea. Three quarters of you will think I'm crazy. So I'm going to float this out because it's probably the same statistic, uh, statistical measure here. But what he recommends and what he has done and incorporated as his abundance model is that he lives on 70% of his income. And what does he do with the other 30? Well, 10% goes to causes, things he cares about. 10% goes to people. And 10% goes to magic. See, he taps into the flow of life. But he does it intentionally. One of the reasons that we teach so many prosperity classes around here is because one of the biggest challenges we have in our life is the scarcity mindset. And when we invite people to step into giving intentionally and giving percentage-wise, it challenges us at a very, very scary level. But the interesting thing, so what Matt has found is, so his cause, he loves the people of Nepal. He's been in Nepal. He realizes they live a very, very, what we would consider a very limited lifestyle. And yet they're the happiest people, however they measure that, but they said that they're the happiest people on the planet. So he supports the, the Nepalese people in developing education. So he puts 10% of his resources into yeah, continuing to support the education in Nepal. Then he's found a young man there that he's adopted and sponsors that wants to be an airplane pilot. So 10% of his resources go to support him for his education and his training to get him launched into his dream. And then 10% goes to magic. So what's the magic? Well, one of the examples that he cites is in New York City, there's a group of people, they're gorilla um, meter feeders. And what they do is they go out, and I, they don't have loonies or toonies in New York City, but they go out with, I think, bags of quarters or whatever they can use, and they find meters that are about to expire, parking meters. And so if someone's parking meter is about to expire, they fill it back up. The only problem is this has now been banned by the city of New York. But they, st- they still found ways to do it. But, but what they realize is that they just, there's a, so when we participate in a way that, that we realize and trust, you know, I'm going to give because I just can, and I'm going to give anonymously for the most part. It's like when you drive through Second Cup, if you've ever done that, and, somebody's, and they say, well, the person in front of you paid for your coffee. But can you, can you imagine a world that works for everyone if, 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 if the, you know, the 40, what is it, 53% of the population of the United States as we measure how the, uh, the voting went this year, adopted this model, what the world might look like or what our lives might look like. He said that in three months he adopted this model and within three months, he, and he was unemployed, he was in between assignments, he got an incredible job offer. But when we trust in the magic of life, the law of cause and effect, how do we activate it? Well, we invest in it. And when we tithe, when we encourage people to tithe and give from a place of generosity and a, pl- a place of circulation, the idea behind it is that it, what we give returns to us, pressed down and overflowing. But it requires a lot of faith because it's very easy to live in scarcity because most of the world does. See, having an impact in the world is not based on conditions. It's based on what we think. And what we need moving forward for all of us is a software upgrade. It is projected that in the next 10 years, 40% of the Forbes 500 most successful companies in the world, 40% within 10 years will be gone, replaced by companies we don't even know about. That's how fast the change is coming. The average lifespan of a company listed in the Forbes 500 has dropped from 67 years to 15. That's how long these companies have shelf life now. That's how fast things are shifting and changing. We live in a time where we can go from I have a great idea to a billion dollar business in one year. That's the time we live in. 
what, and what is the most popular amygdala capturing narrative right now that is capturing the world's focus has been this election, from what I can tell. If I go on Facebook and I read articles, and, and rightfully so. You know, it's captured our attention. And that sense of protection and that sense of fear has been triggered. And there's some wonderful people that have authored some things that I think are valuable for us to consider as we move forward. Because we stand for a world that works for everyone. What does that look like? And see, part of the, 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 the challenge with this, and Dr. Holmes addresses this, and I'll address it in a moment, is part of it is trying to take the consciousness that we are in now and figure it out. And as soon as we land an idea that brings us relief or comfort, the creative process stops. It's an art to live in the mystery, to live in the, oh yeah, there's an idea, but maybe there's more. Because as soon as we land on an idea that, that gives us that sense of purpose in life and an identity, and you see that in the election, there are a lot of people that are in fear and anger, and so they've grouped together in fear and anger. And so what it is, we so long for that solid identity. I know I'm angry. I know I'm, I'm just outraged, either on one side of the thing or the other, and it gives, and it gives people an identity. But it, but it is so aligned with that amygdala, that, that detector of danger, that the creative process stops. So in this article by author James Charles Einstein, he says the dissolution of the old order is now officially in progress and it's going to intensify. So what's happening, this shift and change, the people that voted for Obama eight years ago voted for Trump. They measure that. They know that. They want change. Now also in this is a, is a victim consciousness. I'm going to look for the dad. I'm going to look for the authority figure that's going to fix all this for us. And so that authority figure didn't work. Now I'm on to this authority figure which is victim consciousness, that somebody else can change it. Einstein continues, the disillusion of the old order that is now officially in progress is going to intensify. That presents a tremendous opportunity and danger. Because when normal falls apart, the ensuing vacuum draws in formerly unthinkable ideas from the margins. And they're alive right now. Ideas that range from rounding up all the Muslims and putting them in a concentration camp, Two, dismantling the military-industrial complex and closing down overseas military bases, one end of the spectrum to the other. They range from nationwide stop and frisk to replacing a criminal punishment with restorative justice. So what if all of, a lot of the resources that went into locking people up actually went into restorative justice to take a little bit more time rather than just, oh, here's the solution, you're going to be locked up for X amount of years, but really take the training and, the, and the, the wisdom that we have on the planet to bring these people in and work with them one by one and say, what's going on here? And to dig a little deeper. Anything becomes possible with the collapse of dominant institutions. And when the animating force behind these new ideas is hate or fear, all manner of fascistic and totalitarian nightmares can begin to emerge whether enacted by existing powers or those that arise in revolution against them. And so what Einstein suggests is this radical idea as we are moving into this intensifying disorder. He says it's important to introduce a different kind of force to animate the structures that appear after the old ones crumble. And he says, I would call it love. That's a tall order in this time. I would call it love. He said, to bring love into the world in the realm of politics. So he says, maybe we can't leap there, so let's start with empathy and to understand that these people, there's people that are scared. These people that are trapped in their amygdala. So when we look at it, it's not about they're wrong and bad. We just understand the consciousness they're operating from. It's scarcity. 
it's fear. And then it helps me move, open my heart and move into empathy and realize, wow, I get that. It is scary not to know what the future is. So we start with empathy. Politically, empathy is akin to solidarity. Born of the understanding that we are all in this together, which we are. We, got, we have no other planet to go to. We're here together. And for, in, in, in what together, as he says? For starters, we're in the uncertainty together. We are in a period of mystery. We are in a period of the unknown. But when we can call upon the faith that we stand in to give birth to and traction to and animation for what we stand for, Dr. Ernest Holmes said, let us engage socially. Dr. Ken Gordon, our spiritual leader, has been going around North America for the most part and saying, see, it doesn't matter what you hate. It's about the hate. It doesn't matter what you hate. It's just simply about the hate. We can all find things to hate. It's so easy because we're tripwired for it. First thing I'm going to find out who I can hate. It's easy. Oh, there's the problem. Point the finger. There's the problem over there. Thomas is the problem. Thomas, if we get rid of you, our lives will be so much better. That's not our teaching. When we get triggered by something, we get the opportunity to say, look at that Thomas testing me, tempting me not to love him, but I'm still going to love you because I see the, the perfection in him. So what's alive in me that would, would reach that conclusion about him? That the solution to make my life better is to get rid of him. Oh, yeah. Dr. Holmes, in the entire science of my textbook, never writes about that. Somebody pisses you off, make sure you kill him. There are teachings on the planet that say that. They're radical. People, they hijack a traditional teaching and they say, you know, the problem is them over there. Let's destroy them. That's why we have things that we read about in the paper that trap our amygdalas. So how do we lift ourselves up out of that? It's empathy and love. But when we have the wisdom, when we can come together in a group, a, a, a conscious group of people that care about life, that is precious and important. See, we are alive here now. This is an extraordinary time, as Peter Diamata says. And you can find those, those statistics that support that. So this overpopulation that we fear, all of a sudden, wait a minute, technology, there's problems, but out of the compassion and empathy and love for a world that works for everyone, let's give birth to that. That might be more interesting. It's not about what we can kill. It's about what we can give birth to. Dr. Jim Lockhart, who, who brought this information to my attention, one of our wonderful ministers, he said, mythologically speaking, we are being placed into the fire where we'll either be lost or where the outer ignorance and fear will be burned away. One or the other. We're going to get lost in it and spin in it or we're going to let this fear and terror burn away because the perfection and truth of what we are is eternal. We have always been, will always be. We blow it all up, you know what will happen over time? It will take another billion or two or three billion years. Well, the infinite mind of the one will recreate it again and then life form will go through the evolution. It's seeking expression. The infinite always says, yes, you got it. You want to destroy everything you got? You got it because I love you and you've chosen that because I've given you dominion. You go ahead and destroy yourself if you want. That's an option. But that infinite presence never stops loving, even when we make the, low, the lowest common denominator choices. It is true, Dr. Lockhart continues, it is true in, in ways mar, far more reaching than this particular election. The old order is ending, and a new order is emerging on a larger scale than most imagine. I believe that many who voted for this victorious, the victorious candidates in this election cycle are also in for a shock as major shifts occur globally and locally. 
It's not just happening in the U.S. An integral understanding of cultural dynamics worldwide shows that seismic disruptive shifts are unfolding across the political, cultural, and economic landscapes. In other words, the challenges are much bigger and far-reaching than we might expect. And the way from here to there is by the route of the hero. Each and every one of us has a hero's journey. Joseph Campbell wrote beautifully about this in The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he said this, We have not even to risk the adventure alone. For the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth is fully known. We have only to follow the thread of the hero path. And where we had thought to find an abomination, we shall find a god. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. And where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the center of our own existence. Where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with all the world. So beautiful. What before us is not horrible. It is the way change happens. And we are part of that tribe of light and holding that as standard bearers of what is possible. A tribe of possibility. The hero is not revealed in times of, uh, Dr. Lockhart continues, the hero is not revealed in times of relative comfort. See, this is the great joy about what's happening. The hero arises when we're challenged. I don't think we've been challenged like this ever in my lifetime. I can't remember it. That is the good news here. Nature has a way of making sure that we have opportunities to bring our best selves to bear on the challenges that arise in life. We are tripwired for that. Whether we actually take advantage of those opportunities is another matter. We are always a choice to say, not for me, I'm not doing it. I'm going to stay over here and point fingers. That's up to you. Dr. Holmes said this, a wonderful teacher, John Hefferland, that, that people, many people said, don't license this man, don't ordain this man. Dr. Hefferland, uh, the Hefferland Foundation is, is an entity within the Science of Mind uh, Foundation and Centers for Spiritual Living. But he left his estate to the organization. There's probably $6 million in this foundation that he left. One of the most successful ministers we've ever had, but the powers that be at the time said, oh, this guy's not fit to be a minister. And at Dr. Hefferland's installation at his church, Dr. Holmes got up and said this. He said, we have learned the power of the imagination, but there is another power we may... We may have all the treatment in the world. We may have all the feelings, all the imagination, but I can tell you this one thing. Without spiritual awakening, without a spiritual awareness beyond the imagination and beyond the intellect, we will remain as grasshoppers. But with an awakened soul, with the awakening of the spirit within us, we too become giants. Not only in this present, but on into the future of mankind. So he's talking about the transformation of consciousness. The world doesn't need another good idea. There's plenty of them. What the world is looking for, what our call is to continue to awaken spiritually. You see, if we have a, a condition in our lives, say we have a lack condition. This is Abundance Month. We have a lack condition in our lives. And so what we do is we, we cut and we cut and we paste and we change it and we move people around. And I'll tell you what, if that consciousness that is cutting and moving things around doesn't shift and change, in 12 months you'll be right back cutting more until you'll cut till there's nothing left. It's an opportunity to step up and say, what is my call here? What can shift within my consciousness that could be valuable and potent and powerful? I mean, that's the way consciousness works and Holmes talks about that. To shift the culture of our own being takes time. 
It takes time to quick fix it at the level of the intellect. See, the level of the intellect, the kingdom to consciousness is fantasy consciousness. And it's easy to fall into the trap of fantasy. There's nothing wrong with fantasy. But to understand, to shift the culture of our being to give birth and sustainability to that which we idealize or fantasize about is, is the key. It's not, nothing wrong with fantasizing and idealizing, but then to build the legs underneath it, the foundational piece. So our opportunity, our call to action is, will you take advantage of and will I take advantage of the opportunity before me? How can I dive into my spiritual practice? How can I activate abundance in my life? Maybe I don't live on 70%. I'm not ready to make that leap, but maybe I can take 10% and start to distribute it in a meaningful way. Maybe I can practice magic one day a month and then move it up to two days a month eventually, but grow into the practice. Maybe I can find a cause. Many of you, part of your cause is this community. Thank you so much. I think it's impactful and powerful what we do here. Lives are transformed and changed here. I've watched it over and over and over again, and it's a, it's a joy to behold. But to find a cause that lifts you up and inspires you, to find a person. You know, some of you sponsor our teens to get to camp. And you're already doing it. What a beautiful, noble measure. It changes their lives forever. I mean, how much money do we need to, to, to live on? If we're not sharing it and giving back and activating and, and really standing in faith upon what activates this law of abundance in my life, that I want the best for everybody and I care so much about it, I'm going to mindfully distribute resources in a way that lift up myself and everyone else. To find a technology to train your precious mind and being of service is something that calls you, which is through meditation and prayer. To prepare your mind to stay focused, to sift and sort, and to stay focused on what you believe in. As Dr. Holmes says, to socially engage, to socially engage as clear ambassadors of love. If we are for something, he said, give me a small group of people that are for something and against nothing. That will change the world. That's what Peter Diamatis is talking about. The very teaching that we stand on is showing up in the world through technology and through this brilliant man. That when we hear the voice of fear and anger, to simply know it is people's resistance to what is being get, we are giving birth to and to honor it and to understand it, but to not spin it and feel like we have to, to, to destroy it or fight against it, but to stand in the peace and the, and the passion that Andrew Harvey talks about as, as sacred activists upon this planet. So it's our opportunity to do that. Little boy was uh, talking to his math teacher in school one day. And so the math teacher says, uh, Johnny, he said, you have a dollar, and you're going to go to your father and ask for a dollar, a dollar and a half. So how much money will you have at the end of that? And he says, I will have a dollar. And the teacher says, well, Johnny, you don't understand simple math. And he says, no, teacher, you don't understand my dad. (laughs) So it's our opportunity. It's our opportunity to live in the joy of life and understand this life is precious, that you're not here. It's not a mistake you're here. We are not here to suffer. We are here to wake up. Part of it is Dr. Holmes talked about this spiritual awakening. The other piece to that that is so important, I, I believe, is not only awakening, it's also growing up spiritually. And I believe the activation of it is that peace that many times is missing. That we come into an environment and we realize, oh, I'm God, you know, God is everywhere present. I see God before me. All of that, those, those wonderful platitudes and that experience we can have. But then it is taking that awareness out in the world in a way that makes a difference. And the opportunities are there. So whatever your opportunity is, I know you're guided and led to that. But wants to be given birth. We all are. And so it's 
perhaps just a matter of slowing down and listening and paying attention. So thank you for being part of the tribe of possibilitarians. Blessings.